Let us pray. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were to ask Christians how the Lord's Prayer ends, they would most likely say, For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That is how most Christians learned it. In fact, it's how most of our culture knows the prayer. Uh, A clergy friend of mine told me that when he's leading funeral services and and the room is filled with non-believers, they would pretty much never participate in the service. Until he said, Our Father. And then everyone would join in. Even the non-believers in our culture knew this prayer, and they all knew the ending. This traditional ending that that so many of us have have learned ourselves. Well, we have come to the end of our series based around the Lord's Prayer, and so we might expect to read that doxology, which is the the theological term for, for this prayer of praise. And yet, if you've been paying attention over these past few weeks, you will perhaps have noticed that we haven't said it once. In our reading, the words are not there. Well, what's happening here? Have, have we just made up some words along the way and stuck them, them to the end of the Lord's Prayer, even though Jesus himself didn't use them? Well, no, <laughs> not quite. See, if you were to open a, a King James Version or a New American Standard Version of the Bible, you would find these words right there in, in Matthew's Gospel where we would expect to find them. The reason that it is in some translation and not others, for example, our, our ESV that we use or the, the NIV, they don't have it. The reason it, it's in some and not others, it, it has to do with, with ancient manuscripts. In the Latin-speaking West, most of the manuscripts of Matthew don't have this doxology in it. But in the Greek-speaking East, they do. And so some translation committees put it in, and and some don't. There's far more we could say about that, but this is not a class on on biblical manuscripts. As fun as that class would be, and maybe one day we'll we'll have one, somebody else will have to teach it. Not exactly my area of expertise, but... I'm sure it would be good, but that's not what we're doing here today. So why am I telling you all of this? Why are we speaking about this? Well, it's because we need to look at the importance of praise and worship in prayer. I want to speak today about why it is crucial for us to pray this doxology and more generally praise in our prayer. I'd like to end this series of on prayer by speaking about the role that worship has in our prayer. You see, these words, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, they're petitions that we have asked of God previously in the prayer and that we are now speaking back to Him in adoration. We here are not asking for the kingdom to come, but worshiping our king. We're not asking him to provide for our daily needs and forgive our sins, but worshiping him as the only savior. 
And we worship Him because His glory is known as His name is hallowed. You see, worship is a key element of our entire Christian life. It's it's not something that just happens on Sundays only. It's not something that happens only when I'm singing my preferred type of music. It's not something that only happens as I I look out and take in the, the majesty of creation. Our entire life is meant to be an act of worship, an act of devotion to Jesus. All portions of our Christian life, our study, our Bible reading, our singing, our serving, and yes, our prayer are meant to be acts of worship. Remember that prayer method I mentioned a few weeks ago, the acronym ACTS, right? Adoration is the first one there. What I'm getting at is that praying praise to God, worshiping Him in our prayer, is an absolutely crucial element of our prayer because worship is formative. It changes our hearts, our our very being. That's what the biblical authors have in mind when they speak of the heart, not emotions alone, but the very center of who we are. The great Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith writes, Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his, to want what God wants, to desire what God desires, to hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. That alignment of our hearts happens as we worship the one who alone is worthy of worship. And so to see how this worship and prayer forms us, we're actually going to turn to our psalm today, this great psalm or prayer of praise, Psalm 145. You see, in this psalm, we see how worship and prayer forms our view of God, how it forms our response to God, and how it forms generations of faithfulness. What does this psalm reveal to us about who our God is? How does it form our view of God? Well, immediately we see God referred to as king. It says, I will extol you, my God and my king, and bless your name forever and ever. It's a theme that the author of the psalm, King David, returns to in verses 13 through 16. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. We are being taught here that the Lord is sovereign, that he is king of all, and as such, everything is under his power and authority. That he raises up and brings low. He gives food in due season and provides and satisfies his people. That is who our God is, and he's actually more than that as well. This psalm teaches us that our Father is gracious and merciful, a, a, a gracious and merciful king. Verses 17 tell, verse 17 tells us that he is righteous, that all he does is good. He's near to us and he hears us when we call upon him. 
What an encouraging picture of God that this is laying out for us. Who wouldn't want to worship a gracious and loving and powerful king? But here's the thing. You all already know all this, don't you? I drone on and on and on about the grace of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the loving kindness of our Father that He is full of steadfast love and merciful and slow to anger. You all know all of this, so why are we talking about it now? What does it have to do with worship? Well, look at verse 19. We read, He fulfills the desires of those who fear Him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love Him, but all the wicked He will destroy. Now, when we talk about the fear of the Lord, what we're not talking about is is quaking in our boots here. It's about being filled with awe and reverence. It's about worshiping Him as our God. In meditating on these great truths about His character, we are to fall at His feet in reverence and worship. When we fear the Lord, He fulfills our desires and hears our cries to be saved. Why? Is it because of our our pious behavior? Is it a a reward for all the good we do? No, 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 no. It's because as we worship the Lord, we are drawn near to Him. We see Him more clearly and see ourselves more clearly. After all, we're not going to cry out for Him to save us if we think we don't need to be saved. And we're certainly not going to cry out to Him if we don't believe He is able to save. But in our fear of Him, in our reverence and worship of Him, these truths that we know about God are planted deep within us so that our hearts become aligned with His. Our desires and our loves become like His. You see, it's very easy to know these things about God, to read the great books out there that explain all the things about theology and who our God is, to read our Bibles and, and, and learn everything we possibly could learn about God. But it's very easy for those to just remain things we know about God without really knowing God. It's very easy to have knowledge without fear, to have study without worship and reverence. Now, I am very much in favor of study. Please don't hear this as an anti-intellectual statement. But we need to acknowledge that study without worship becomes mere intellectualism. And prayer without worship becomes rote and dry. And it works the other way, too. Worship without study is is ill-informed and very easily becomes heretical. Worship without prayer is often misguided, and we end up worshiping the wrong thing entirely. You see, all these things are meant to work together. They're good things, not in competition, but together. And as we live them out together, this, this head knowledge of our prayer and our study, it becomes a, a heart knowledge that shapes our very beginning, or our very being, I should say. 
And that doesn't happen unless our prayer and our study and our worship are all brought together. The Lord preserves all who love him, verse 20 says. That's not romanticism. That's not emotionalism. It is worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. Taking the truths we know of God and praising him for them. It is worshiping God as he's revealed himself in Him in his son. Worshiping him as gracious and loving and also king and Lord. Not worshiping a God created in our own image who happens to act and look like me and exist to make me feel happy and give me my best life now, however I decide to define that. We worship him as he has genuinely revealed himself and doing so forms our understanding of him and our lives to be more like Jesus. When we worship in our prayer and in all our lives, when we worship, our hearts are formed and our response to God is changed. David ends this psalm with a doxology. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Now, if you know anything about King David, you know he did not have the easiest life. (laughs) He spent many years on the run from a king who wanted him dead. He had a son who tried to overthrow him and came extremely close to doing so. To say nothing of the problems of his own creation when he did not resist temptation but chose sin over righteousness. And yet... Despite the challenges of his life, despite what he lived through, throughout the psalms that he wrote, these beautiful prayers, he praises God. He responds to the Lord with worship. He worships the Lord as the one who preserves his life, who who saves him from the pit. You see, as these great truths we know about God form our heart in worship, we can respond with worship regardless of our circumstances. That's what we see in David. We are given a solid foundation for our life. Because our view of God has been formed in prayerful worship, our response to God comes out of that, comes out of that newly formed heart. So that we can experience extreme trials in life and have challenges on every side just like David did and yet still say, I will speak the praise of the Lord. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he has made. That is the sort of heart that that Paul is speaking about when he admonishes us to not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If our hearts have been formed in the truths of God through the worship of God, we experience the blessing of God by responding rightly to Him and receiving His peace. And He'll continue to shape us as So that we can face the day ahead with joy and a sure footing. Because the God we love and worship is king. And he is sovereign and gracious. And all these wonderful things that we know about him. 
And we won't just know them about him, but we will know him and respond to him the way we should. One more point for today. Worship shapes our understanding of God. It shapes the way that we view God. It also shapes the way we respond to God. But that's not all. It's not just about us. (laughs) It's about far more than that. Worshiping the Lord in prayer and study and all that we do, worshiping the Lord forms generations of faithfulness. If I had a dollar for every time I heard about how young people these days don't care about Jesus and don't have time for God, my grandkids would have enough to retire on. Yes, young people statistically are less likely to believe in Jesus than older people, and that gap between those groups is growing. There's no denying that, at least in the Western world. And there are a lot of reasons for it. But one of them is how we, the church, have failed to form future generations of believers. We can't just blame culture on this. Take a look at verse 4. One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Now let's jump down to verse 10. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. David is teaching us here that it is the responsibility of the church to pass down the knowledge of the Lord to the generations that come after us. That we are to train up a child in the way that he should go so that even when he is old, he will not depart from it. And the truth is that the formation of believing people, including children, happens in the context of the believing, worshipping community. It, it, is, it is in the worshipping community that future generations learn of their need for God and his actions on their behalf to save them in Christ Jesus. When David writes in this psalm, this beautiful prayer of the mighty acts of God, the awesome deeds and the steadfast love of the Lord, what he has in mind here are all of the acts of deliverance that the Lord has accomplished. He would be thinking of how the Lord heard his people crying out in their bondage in Egypt and delivered them as only he could. He would be thinking of all the times he delivered David himself from the hands of Saul and then from countless others. Time after time after time delivering him from danger and rescuing his life. And little could David have known what this active deliverance would mean to us who live now, who know of the saving work of Jesus Christ and the act of deliverance that he accomplished in his death and resurrection. These are the acts that future generations need to be told about. They need to hear it because they need salvation and deliverance just as much as David did and just as much as we do now. 
And that is not something that happens just by going to Sunday school. It happens through standing or kneeling beside mom and dad and praying and worshiping together, through hearing the reading of scripture and joining the response of praise to the mighty acts of the Lord as we as one body respond, thanks be to God. It is absolutely crucial without question that children are given biblical and age-appropriate lessons, but it is also crucial that they remain with the worshiping community for as much of the service as they possibly can be. Children need to learn how to worship and pray just like the grown-ups do. We are, after all, the family of God, the household of faith, and so we worship together. We pray together. We, the church, must come to grips with the truth that part of the reason we don't see as many families and children as we would like is because we, the church, have failed our young people. We have not modeled well what it is to worship and pray to the Lord. In part by not including young people in the worshiping community. We have often outsourced the bringing up of kids in the faith to professional Christians, to Christian camps and and youth pastors of the world. Children learn to pray and worship by seeing their older relatives, by seeing the church at large genuinely worshiping our Lord together and inviting them to join in, to welcome them with joy as valued members of the body of Christ who need to be formed in prayer and worship just like every other member. And while Sunday is a huge part of that, without question, it isn't only about Sundays. Each and every day we're to pray and worship our Lord and we're to do so with the children that we have around us. In this way, they pick up on the language of prayer and worship as the the Lord begins to form their hearts just as he's doing the same for us. David admonishes us that we are to pass down the truth of who our God is And we do that by forming future generations in the worship of God so that their hearts can be formed just as ours are being formed. Happens in the same way for them as it does for for me at my age, for you at your age, whatever age that is. So that these good lessons that they learn in Sunday school or in reading their Bibles or at at home with mom and dad talking about Jesus. It's so that those good lessons are planted deep within their hearts as they kneel beside us. And we pray together for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Prayer and worship are gifts from our Lord. Throughout this epiphany season, it's been my goal to to try to unwrap this gift for us a bit so that we can learn why prayer is so important. That it's not a box to check off or a work to be done, but a genuine blessing where we can sit at the feet of Jesus and praise Him and speak with Him.
We can open our very hearts to him and let him form our hearts to truly know and love him and receiving from him the great blessing of a deeper and fuller faith. It's a gift for us and for our children and for those who will come years after us. That, after all, is what we, the people of St. Aidan's, are to be about, isn't it? Not seeing Jesus as being for us and us alone, but looking ahead to generation after generation of people, young and old together, living out the mission that the Lord has given us to praise and proclaim Jesus Christ. Worshiping Him in spirit and truth so that people of all generations are formed to faithfully share the saving love of Christ. It's what we say we're about. It's what we should be about. It's a good mission. And so may we, the people of St. Aidan's, live out our value of being a praying people, seeking and worshiping the Lord together. And may we see the glory of God shine forth through our prayers as many, as a countless amount, young and old, are brought to faith in Christ to worship Him and to be molded by Him. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, we do thank you for the amazing gift of prayer that you give us. And we pray, Lord, that you would teach us how to pray each and every day, that you would grow us in our prayer more deeply, more fully. And that in our prayers, we would take time to adore you, to worship you, to praise you for your goodness and your grace towards us. That we would do this together so that we might live as the body of Christ together. Would you change us and form us in our prayer and our worship of you, that we might be more like Jesus, that we would be your church here on earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.